If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that on the surface we talk about communication, but underneath that, we're really talking about relationships. Caring about another person is why we are thoughtful about how we speak with one another. Today, we're going to hear from two listeners that have very different situations, but share some common themes. Our questions this episode, should you confront a person who is lying? And if so, how do you do it? And how do you talk to your romantic partner when they just pull away when the conversation gets difficult? Welcome to episode 68 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host, Beth Bilo. I hope this moment finds you safe and healthy as we all continue to live with the COVID-19 pandemic. I know that I'm uh, I'm having my up days and my down days, and I imagine you are too. And I'm finding that it's it's helpful to reach out for support and to just acknowledge the difficulty of this time. So I really do hope that you are, you're safe and healthy and able to keep your sanity during all of this. This episode features two questions submitted by listeners, one about confronting a liar and the other about a partner being unwilling to engage in conversation. For the second question, I've pulled in a friend and colleague, Rebecca West of Seriously Happy Homes, who has special expertise on the catalyst for this particular disagreement. I'm so grateful to these two listeners who submitted their questions, and I invite you to submit your own question for inclusion on a future episode. It's easy to do. All you have to do is go to howcanisaythis.com and click on Submit a Question. There you'll find all the information you need. And while you're there, you'll also find past episodes as well as a list of topics that I cover in talks and seminars. Please be in touch if I can ever be of service. Now, let's get to those listener questions. Our first submission was made anonymously, and they wrote, My question concerns how to tell someone that he is lying to you and how to make him stop. The listener explains that through the process of collaborating with someone on a client project, they realized that their colleague wasn't being honest with them or the client. He wasn't listening to what the client wanted, instead putting forth his own ideas and not being truthful about who he'd talked to about the project and when. He also seemed to be consistently misrepresenting his own past work experience. And if that wasn't enough, he made statements about his personal life that were inconsistent with what the listener knew was true. Here's what the listener wrote at the end of their question. Because the situation was not working at all, I decided to talk to him and I explained to him how difficult it was for me to work with someone that had turned the job into a competition, that we should care more about working together and giving the client what he asked for. I explained that this was not about him or his project ideas. It was about the client who, in fact, was very clear about what he wanted. However, I did not mention that I could not take any more lies because I did not know how to do it in a respectful way without pointing at him with my finger and calling him a liar. I can understand that. (laughs) This conversation happened just two days before he lied to the client about having worked on a particular project for the last four years. It was during that meeting that I decided to break any kind of relationship with him. And after breathing deeply during the weekend, I called him on Monday and told him 
that I was giving up and that I had nothing to say because I had already explained to him how difficult it was for me to work with him. My questions are, should I have confronted his lies and how should I have done it? What could I have told him without being disrespectful, but being firm and assertive? And then the listener wrote, I have difficulties with being assertive. I have been told that I am either too nice or I am too rude. I had never told him that he was lying to me and how upsetting and disrespectful this was. Or should I have stayed quiet as I chose to do? We have been taught since our childhood days that we should not lie, and somehow I feel that we should be responsible for our own actions and treat others with the same respect as we expect to be treated. We are adults, and we are able to know how to behave without the need of someone reminding us constantly of what to do. I really appreciated this question, and there's a lot to um, consider here. And, and of course, I, I left out some of the details just to partly preserve the, the listener's anonymity. So please take that into consideration. And with both this question and the question that follows, please remember that um, as I'm responding, I consider these responses and ideas and thoughts, not answers. Um, I'm not the definitive expert in what's going on in your life and your relationships. And I can only offer some thoughts based on the information that's shared with me. So I, I do invite you to take that into account as you listen to what I share and um, later on what Rebecca shares, because some of what I I say might work, it might fit, and others it, it might not. You know, I might be making some assumptions that aren't true. And as I try not to do that, it's, it's really hard. So please take this information and decide what works for you. And if it doesn't work, then please leave it. And um, I have no attachment to it. So the first thing I want to say to the anonymous listener with this question is that you did the right thing by breaking off the relationship. It's really impossible to be in a business partnership or really any kind of partnership if you can't trust the other person. And clearly, if they are consistently not telling the truth or not following through on agreements, you're not going to trust them. You also should feel good about trying to have a conversation with him about your concerns that he wasn't honoring the client's wishes. Here's what you did well. You focused on the outcome of his behavior rather than the lies themselves. So why would this be a good thing? Because it's about something that you should both care about, that being the client's satisfaction. You made it about that instead of about him. As a first step, that's a great way to approach it. You find the shared stake, the common ground, and you focus on how that's being compromised because of certain behaviors or choices that are being made. In sharing your question, you didn't mention how he responded when you had that conversation with him about keeping the client in mind and how difficult you were finding the situation. If he had acknowledged that he was putting his own vision before the clients and then turned around and lied anyway, that would be clear grounds for saying, I'm confused here. We talked about the importance of trying to deliver what the client was asking for, and then it seemed like you didn't keep that in mind. It was almost like we hadn't had the conversation. You also talked about a project that I wasn't aware of. Would you mind sharing more about that with me? The key is to stay curious. And I know this might sound a little bit crazy, especially if you believe that they are lying, but assume best intent. 
in this case, assuming best intent, might mean that in his mind, those other projects he'd worked on were proof of his competency. Maybe he was feeling insecure or like he wasn't competent enough to do the job that was being asked for, so he tried to shift the job to something that felt more familiar, and that's why he put his own vision out there instead of the client's. Or he had a particular agenda for the project that he thought was better, and he wanted to prove its superiority to the client. So he didn't mean any harm. He just thought he knew best. Sometimes it helps to assume that best intent because then you can go into it with curiosity and you're less likely to put the other person on the defensive. If you can be more asking questions about where they're coming from and what their thought process is. Now, of course, there's always the chance that he is flat out lying. Lying is intentional. If you're lying, you know what the truth is, but you intentionally deny it or you change it or you say something completely different. You know exactly what you're doing. And even if you contort yourself into justifying the lie, it's still a lie. It's hard when the person lying justifies that lie with what they feel are good intentions. In your colleague's case, it might be that he thought he needed to lie in order to gain the confidence of the client. Of course, lying only undermines someone's confidence in us, like it did for you. But when we're in the moment, it sometimes might feel like we have no choice and we have to tell the lie, which we'll dismiss as a little white lie or lying by omission, and those might feel justified if the outcome gets us what we want. So what am I saying here? I'm basically saying that when you think someone else is lying, try to see the situation from their perspective. A lot of things come down to what are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? What is their fear? How could they be justifying their lie? And then that leads you to your question. Do you say something at that point? Now, if you do, Again, I suggest you start with curiosity and observation. What did you see and hear that put you on alert? In the case of your colleague, it might sound like opening a conversation with, you mentioned that you'd been working for the past four years on this project, but I haven't heard anything about it. Can you say more and tell me about it? There's nothing accusatory in that. There's no assumption that it was a lie. All you're doing is gathering more information. If he describes something that's not a qualifiable project in your eyes, you can say, well, that's interesting. It sounds like a really great project. I'm not sure that it is similar to what we're working on right now, and I want to be careful that we don't make it sound like this is something that we have lots of experience with. That approach of finding out more applies if you want to stay in partnership with someone. It's not something that you can just let slide because it compromises the respect and trust that you have for them and that you have in the partnership. Alternatively, if it's just an irrelevant lie and it does no harm, except for maybe raising your blood pressure and being out of integrity for you, which is no small matter then there may not be reason to call him on it, at least not if you're planning to exit the partnership. It's harmful. It's harmful not to call out the lie if it makes someone else think that he can do work that he isn't qualified for. 
It's irritating, but perhaps irrelevant. If it's told just to puff himself up, and its truth has nothing to do with the job. Now, that's not to say that lying is irrelevant or that it's okay in some situations. It's more about being able to tell if the lie is doing harm to anyone other than the person doing the lying, and if so, something does need to be said. If not, and if you're not seeing yourself in an ongoing relationship with this person, whether it's personal or professional, it might not be worth the time and energy to call them out on it. And even as I say, call them out, that sounds kind of judgmental and、um, like you could put someone on the defensive. So I don't mean necessarily you're you're calling them out, but you know I guess it's more like it might not be worth the time and energy to name it or to directly address it with them. Because in the end, you know, you're right when you wrote that we're adults and that we should take responsibility for our actions and our words. We shouldn't need to be told not to tell a lie. It's not our job to teach someone that. If it were a formal business partner, a life partner, or a family member, we care about them enough to have a conversation and say. I've been confused lately by some inconsistencies in what you've said about whatever the topic is, and I want to check in about it. Then you can share what you've noticed, hopefully without judgment or accusations, and ask for them to clarify. But when it's a more casual acquaintance or a temporary partnership, you have to weigh the consequences of the lies with the drama of confronting them. If you can give another legitimate reason for ending the partnership and choose not to address the lies, then it might be that that's a viable option. Like I said, a legitimate and honest reason for ending the partnership. If your reputation is on the line, then it's a good idea to clear things up and talk about the statements you feel were mistaken or misleading or lies. You can say that having trust and respect is an important part of working with someone. You have reservations about some of the statements that he's made, and that's led to your trust being compromised. Because trust is so critical to a productive partnership, you need to talk about it and clear the air. Now, I feel like my response to this was kind of all over the place, and I was hedging quite a bit because these situations and these relationships are complicated, and there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. My hope was that I just gave you some additional questions to think about, or other approaches or angles, because it sounds like you know that particular relationship has come to a close, but we know that it happens once; it's likely to happen again. And so I appreciate how you are being so thoughtful about this question, and that as you think about this, it's going to serve you well the next time you find yourself in this situation. And like I said, there's not this one size fits all answer. It comes down to the nature of the relationship, whether it's committed or temporary, and the consequences of the lies. I had to help myself out as I thought about this. I ended up drawing a grid with four boxes, you know, four quadrants. And I labeled them: upper left, committed, consequential; upper right, committed, non-consequential; lower left, temporary, consequential; lower right, temporary, non-consequential. What I came away with is that in most situations, the consequential lies. There's the harm or loss of money or reputation. There's chronic mistrust that interferes with the relationship. Those need to be addressed. Otherwise, you can just choose to go along with it and not say anything, knowing that their tiny lies might be coming from fear, 
and aren't worth exposing. The problem is when lots of tiny lies add up and then result in less trust. And then you have to say something. And I'm going to share that quadrant on the episode webpage because it's easier to look at it. And then I would say, you know, think about your situation and the relationship and which quadrant does it fall into? And if it falls into a committed or a temporary consequential, the, the lies have consequences, that's where you need to address it. So like I said, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of this question. You are clearly someone of high integrity who values honesty. It's challenging to work with someone who doesn't have the same standards. Keep living from your truth and trust your intuition when it comes to deciding whether confronting a less than truthful person is going to be productive. Our next question comes from Andrea. She shared this. She says, How do you engage in conversation when your romantic partner pulls away and says he doesn't want to talk about it anymore? Here's a little bit about what Andrea wrote. I'm just going to summarize a bit. She and her partner moved in together about six months ago, and she's finding that her minimalist style is clashing a bit with her partner's desire to hold on to things that have sentimental value for him. She writes that she cherishes the opportunity to get to know her soon-to-be life partner even more in depth. And then she went on to share, Although it made better financial sense to stay in my one-bedroom apartment, we decided it was easier for me to move into his two-bedroom apartment because he had too many belongings. Andrea continues, I've always been a minimalist. It is not difficult for me to relinquish materialistic items. Even things with emotional value, I've detached. I managed to reduce to the essential six packing boxes and two suitcases of clothing. As I continue to downsize to fit into his space, I discover that he is unwilling to make room. Now, nearly five months after my move, I'm still unsettled and partially unpacked. When he questions why I have not made myself at home, it's hard to answer that he had not accommodated me in ways that made me feel welcome. I tried to tell him that it saddens me to see him hold onto his memorabilia so tightly. His childhood toys and cute cereal bowl sets with decades-old memories are sentimental to him. I see this as enduring and admirable. I also recognize this as his shackles. If I try to talk to him about it, I'm triggering him to confront his present against his past. I felt judged when he told me that it's, quote, easy for me to get rid of my things, and that includes emotional baggage. He criticized me for embracing a life with less burden. When I expressed to him that I was hurt by his comments, he reacts in silence and walks away, telling me that he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. So to help me with this question, I thought it would be useful to get some advice from my friend and colleague, Rebecca West. She is the owner of Seriously Happy Homes, which is located in Seattle, Washington. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, You have had a chance to consider this question a little bit, and I'm curious what your first thoughts are for Andrea. Yeah, well, first, I just want to say that what she's going through is very real. So if she feels at all like she's making a, a big deal out of a small thing. It's not. This is tied into a lot of emotion, and I really feel for her. Um, and the first thing that comes to my mind is no matter what we're dealing with, obviously we need to be careful about how we're asking, when we're asking, and also 
what we're really asking. So to dig into that a little bit, sometimes we'll think, oh, I'm not judging somebody. I just want them to get rid of this really important collection because, well, important to them because it's stupid and it's in my way. And we'll think or we'll pretend that we're asking with love, but really we're trying to control the outcome. And trying to control the outcome is never going to lead to a good conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. It's uh, you have to question your motivation, or what's the intention behind what you're saying and, and choose your words carefully. It would be so easy to say, I feel like there's a lot of clutter. And, and that kind of language. Right. But that's immediately going to put somebody on the defensive. Exactly. So what can you know, what's another uh, approach yeah. that we can take? So ideally, you would go first, like I said, you would choose your moment, not when somebody's already aggravated by something else or tired or whatever. So you choose a moment that feels neutral. And then I would go to my partner and I would say, hey, it, you know, it means the world to me that I've been invited into your home because that's what's happened, right? Mm -hmm. He had a space and I've, you know, if I put myself in her place, I have left my space and come into his. So acknowledge what has happened. And then I would say, you know, it's been a couple of years. I think in this case, it's been a couple of years and I still, you know, I still don't feel quite settled in here. I know you keep wondering why I'm not settled in here and I'd like to talk about it, right? So there was no judgment. There was an acknowledgement that he wants her to feel settled in, that she wants to feel settled in, but it hasn't happened. And so set the stage for a neutral conversation. That's where we begin. Yeah. What would you recommend that Andrea do to prepare herself to have that conversation? Yeah. And, and this is hard because obviously he's coming into the conversation with his own expectations, assumptions, mindset. Um, but the only person Andrea can control is her own words and her own approach to this conversation. She cannot control her partner. Um, so to prepare for it, I would really dig into what is it you need from home? What does home mean to you? Ideally, you'll be having a conversation with him, too, about what does home mean? When he says it doesn't seem like you feel at home here, what does he mean by that? What would it look like to him if she did look at home in the space? Um, so uncover what it looks like, what it feels like on a day-to-day -day basis to be at home in a space physically, emotionally, um, auditorily, like when's the TV on? When is it not on? Mm. All the things that influence what it feels like to be at home in your own space. Do that work on her own first so that she's coming in with clarity as opposed to just this general dissatisfaction, which is very hard to pin down. Yeah. And then also really think about how much she loves him, right? Really go in with love. Like I said, don't try and control the outcome. The outcome may not be that he gets rid of a certain thing that you hate, but the outcome might be that he clears a different space that you can really make your own. You have to be going in with an open mind as to what the solution will be because it's two people's space. Yeah. And you made a point when we were talking earlier that it might be a lot to ask for the whole, entire space to be transformed and adapted. So it's it's advantageous to say, you know, maybe this is my my corner of the the home that I can do whatever I want with. And that might be true for him or it might be true for her. Mm -hmm. So she might have that space that is completely minimalist and he might have a space where he can stack his things or put things on shelves or organize them, you know, but he's not worried about it being too much for her. Yeah, and that can come back to the conversation 
conversation of what does home mean, right? So Mm -hmm. for some people, home is very much about the interaction with friends who are coming over, right? So if she opens the door and there's piles everywhere, she may feel a lot of embarrassment or shame around that, and that is a huge triggering thing for her. Or alternatively, maybe it's the private spaces that really need to be a sanctuary. So for her to go into the bedroom, if there's clutter or, or disarray, it might be really, really hard for her at the end of the day. So identifying what are the things that are most important and what spaces are most important. And they might find that he doesn't care one bit about the bedroom, but he completely cares about the living room or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then they can both get what they're wanting as they work out the nuance of their relationship. Because 20 years from now, this will be hopefully a different conversation. But right now, they're still figuring out how to share a space. Yeah. What about being honest? Because it seems like, especially early in a relationship, we can kind of tiptoe and make internal concessions to someone because we're afraid of hurting their feelings and and whatnot. But of course, that can lead to resentment later on. Um, What are your thoughts on the role of honesty in this kind of conversation, especially on the part of Andrea? Yeah. Well, so first, it's it's important to realize that there is the honeymoon phase of a relationship when you don't even see somebody's clutter or weird friends or whatever. <laughs> and then as you move in emotionally and physically, the, those things start showing up. They were always there, but you didn't see them. And so your your partner might feel like, wait a minute, I didn't change. Why are you suddenly upset, right? So be aware that there are phases in a relationship. Take a breath and go, all right. Why is this now bothering me? And is it about something else, not actually this object, right? Because sometimes the object is bringing up other stuff, and that's what the argument in your body is really about. And then again, coming at it from a place of love. Like if you want to share a home with this person, you can't go in and go, I want to share a home with you, but I want you to change everything about how you live. That's not fair to them, And you wouldn't want them to ask that of you either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great point. There's always a little bit of compromise in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, by having these kinds of honest conversations, we can learn what is really important to the other person. And and you might think something is important to them, but it's not as important as you were assuming. Yeah, yeah. And if you approach it with a, a conversation of, you know, it seems like these things are important to you. And I am tripping over them when I try and come into the house. How can we honor these things and also not have them in the hallway? You know, Mm -hmm. you can have that kind of a conversation. So you're starting from a place of, I love you. Therefore, I love your stuff. However, your stuff is not loving me. How can we all live together harmoniously? (laughs) Stuff is not loving me. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And and to yeah to just be honest about that. Don't suddenly develop an allergy to you know <laughs> something that they have that you want to see gone. Um, you know, as I pondered this question, I thought about my husband and myself. You know, we've been married; it'll be twenty two years this May, and I know we've had the, we've we've done this dance, mm-hmm. and it certainly has sometimes caused some tension. But somehow we we managed to move through it. And I think it's because of some of the things that we've talked about, um, you know, figuring out not just this object is important to you, but why is it important to you? Mm-hmm. And in order to honor it, what would feel like it was um, treating it with respect exactly. and treating you with respect? And, you know, and, and assumptions are always the biggest problem pretty much in all of communication. 
So (laughs) you might think, okay, so let's say somebody has a bureau that was handed down from grandma and it just doesn't go with the decor, but we're definitely not getting rid of it. Well, you don't know what the rules are. So maybe it would actually be okay to paint it. And maybe that would solve the whole thing. Mm, If you don't ask, mm -hmm. you won't know. Again, you can't control outcome. You can't be like, I need to paint your grandma's dresser. But you can ask. You can say, would this be an okay solution? Or could it go into the guest room or whatever, right? Brainstorming solutions, trying to seek a together solution. And the other part, of course, is I think it's the Gottmans, the Gottman Institute, who talks so much about relationships. Yes, and they talk about eye rolls, right? So those those moments when you dismiss your partner. Mm-hmm. And we really have to check ourselves. When somebody says to us, that's important to me or that's bothering me. And if you just go, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to deal with it because you're wrong. You have now dismissed your partner. So you do have to stop and go, they just said that's important to me. And even if I do think it's stupid, I don't think my partner is stupid, so I need to stop and pause and go, okay, how are we going to accommodate this? What does it really mean? Yeah. The phrase that came to mind is people over possessions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always about the person over the possession. Exactly. To put your emphasis there. And if there's the question of which direction to go, go with the person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I also thought it was really interesting in her question when she talked about how she felt a little bit hurt by him saying that she can let things go so easily. Mm-hmm. So it, there's something happening there too, right? Um, sometimes I have actually helped clients who have so little attachment to things that they are almost untethered, unanchored. So is there a story there to explore? Is there something that has to do with having too much stuff or having stuff taken away as a, you know when you're younger where keeping stuff, keeping emotional baggage, luggage, if you will, has been dangerous. And so she mm-hmm. she separates from things. You know, what's happening on the other side? Because you can go, there's definitely too much stuff, clutter, hoarding, but there's also can be too much minimalism, too little attachment. Where's the balance? Yeah, yeah. Very good point. There's always two sides to the story, right? And mm-hmm. A strength or, um, you know, something that we find is a desirable trait when taken to another level has a flip side to it. Exactly. And can show up in a way that is a barrier to connection and relationship. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Any final thoughts for Andrea? Um, gosh, I, we covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, we did. Um, but I just, I wish her absolutely the best because, you know, obviously we're all rooting for them as a couple so that they can go on to have a wonderful, happy home together. Definitely. Thanks so much for bringing your, your wisdom. And I'm excited that uh, you're my special guest on the next the next episode as well. So we get back to back, Rebecca, <laughs> which is awesome. Well, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I think it is too. So thank you so much, Rebecca. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. I love so many points that Rebecca mentioned, especially about making sure that you're having the conversation in the right time and place, and to remember that there's always a solution if you're willing to be honest with one another. If he keeps pulling away, it might be that he is feeling defensive. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're not attacking him. If he feels attacked, he'll go into fight or flight mode. The moment is too charged for a productive discussion, and it's best to wait until you're both feeling in a more neutral space. 
Here are a few more thoughts from the conversation that I had with Rebecca that I want to reinforce, and then I'll add a few closing comments to consider. Since you're living together and you describe yourselves as life partners, there's an assumption that you would both care about creating a home that works for you both. That is such an important point that I know Rebecca and I talked about it, but I want to bring it up again. Ask yourself, how are each of you defining the concept of home? So many differences escalate into conflict when we assume shared definitions of important terms. In this case, home is the one that would be beneficial to discuss. What does home mean to you? To him, what does it mean to share a home? What kind of home do you want to create together? This is a way of finding out what you each value, what's most important to you, and what you need most to be happy, as both individuals and as a couple. It also sounds like this disagreement has become somewhat personal. It sounds like he's seeing you as maybe unsentimental, or perhaps even emotionally cold, because you have an easy time doing something that he doesn't, parting with items that are sentimental and have an emotional charge for him. It is endearing, as you say, and yet it's crowding you out. Over time, it's possible that you will both feel resentful of the other because your needs aren't being respected. I admit to feeling a personal resonance with your story, so I'm going to use that as an opportunity to invite you into empathy. In this case, we're focusing on not how to change your partner, but how to understand him better. Here's my experience. My husband isn't a minimalist, but he's more able to easily let things go and likes to live in an organized, uncluttered space. I'm not a hoarder, but I kind of have a higher tolerance for visual noise, and I do tend to cling to objects that have sentimental value a little bit longer than necessary. For instance, four years ago, when we downsized from an 1,800-square-foot house to a 1,000-square-foot apartment with no storage, I made some difficult decisions about what to keep and what to give or throw away. For me, it was hard. It's like each piece that I picked up represented a moment in my life that told part of my story. And it sounds weird to say, but it's like the object was me. And if I got rid of it, I was getting rid of that part of myself. This was the hardest with the possessions related to my time as a musician. In particular, music I knew that I would never play again, books that I didn't need anymore, or even papers that I'd written in college. You know, those papers that sometimes it's kind of funny to go back through them and you read them and you're like, who was this person? <laughs> when did I know this stuff? This this is, um, you know, this, this feels like another lifetime. And yet, you know, it's part of you. Those objects represented my identity for 15 or so of my most formative years. And the memories that went along with them were inseparable from the objects. So if I no longer had them, Was I denying a part of myself? Was I saying it wasn't important to me? The short answer is no. I ended up parting with some of those possessions and keeping others. I tried to be selective and discern what was the most meaningful, what was irreplaceable. A professional organizer friend of mine once made a suggestion that if you find it difficult to part with an object, find another way to keep it. Take a picture of it. 
save a piece of it, journal about it. For instance, she suggested with. Perhaps you know a piece of music that I played at a senior recital, that I take the first page of the score and frame it, or I could laminate it to use as a placemat. And if this doesn't sound corny to you, you could do a little ceremony for the items that you've decided to let go. Be intentional about holding them. Tell the story to yourself or to another person of what they mean to you, and then put them in the donation box or a box that you carry you, Andrea, in this case, out to the dumpster for him. Or maybe you're the one that takes it to goodwill. It also occurs to me that something that's true of our relationships with people is true of our relationships with stuff. That it's in our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. If we can look at our possessions through that lens, we might have an easier time with letting things go. And Andrea, that might be a framing that you could share with your partner to look at your objects and say, "Was this object in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime?" And if it's for a lifetime, then you find a way to keep it and to honor it. If it was for a reason or a season. Then you might have a discussion about what would be the best way to memorialize that reason or season, and then let it go. So I share all of that with you as a way to maybe get into the mind of your partner and see where he might be coming from. It's not that all of us who like to hold on to things share the same motivations, but there are probably some similarities we all share around seeing the objects that we are attached to as sources of identity, comfort. Or even healing. If you can talk together about your motivations for both keeping things and getting rid of things, then maybe there's an opportunity for compromise. Perhaps there are certain shared rooms that he can agree to remove some items from, so that there's more openness. Andrea, share with him why it's important to you. Does it help you to think better? Do you just breathe better? Do you feel more relaxed? Does it help you to focus more on him and your relationships when your surroundings are simpler? And in that case, I was almost going to say less cluttered, but that kind of word is likely to activate your partner because when we hear the word clutter, we often think of junk, and there's a lot of judgment in that word. This is about finding a way to honor what you both need. There is, of course, the bigger issue of being able to have the difficult conversation. The key is to come at the situation with empathy, curiosity, and humility. Since you are going to be life partners, maybe have an intentional conversation about how you each deal with conflict. Don't make it about the stuff, but it's more just about conflict in general. Talk about how you feel about disagreements and what your stress response is. I want to offer you a few questions that each of you can answer that will provide you with more insight into your relationship. Kind of treat this as an exercise. You know, maybe just sit down at the dining room table, or go out to dinner, or you know, go for a walk in the park, and consider these questions. When you hear the word conflict, what does that mean to you? What was your experience with conflict or disagreements when you were growing up? What topics or situations activate you? For instance, money, food, sex, possessions, work, parents—you name anything that pushes your buttons. So, what are the topics or situations that activate you? How do you typically respond when you find yourself in conflict? Then, for me, what's important for me to remember 
when we get into a fight? And what do you need most from me when you're upset? Do you want me to just listen? Do you want me to leave you alone? Do you want me to call someone? You know, so what do you need most from me? Other questions will come up as you have this conversation, but having this talk when you're both feeling good and there's no tension will help you tremendously when there is tension, whether that's about the stuff in your house or your apartment or anything else that might come up. Andrea, I wish you both well in having these important conversations and in making your home a happy place for both of you for many years to come. And for everyone listening, please be sure to join me for episode 69 of How Can I Say This when I have a longer conversation with Rebecca about how our physical space can make or break our ability to have good communication with others. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? You can find past episodes, submit your own question, and learn more about the show at howcanisaythis.com. Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you to Rebecca West of Seriously Happy Homes for offering her wisdom, and thank you so much for joining me today. And I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously.